Hi, everyone. Uh, We're going to be reading from Job chapter 1, verses 13 to 22. Uh, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on, on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, Yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been going through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we're at chapter 4 now, on the 4th. And it's the chapter entitled Journey Through the Wall. And I, uh, whenever I read this chapter, it always, like one word always comes up to me and it's the word survival. Um, And I think that because when you think about this journey through the wall and some, as the ancients used to call it, the dark night of the soul, it's, it's a period of a believer's journey, uh, of a person's journey, where they literally hit a wall and they have to get through it and it's dark and it's lonely and your faith doesn't seem to work and it's in these times that though we see it as a really terrible and 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 not positive thing um it's in these times that god does things for us uh, and he helps us to survive um i Recent, well, a couple years ago, uh, and I thought of this recently, uh, Janice and I, my wife Janice and I, we, we watch TV together sometimes, and, and uh, she likes to watch um, these survival shows, right? And so I'll, I'll walk by, and if I, if I think it's interesting, I'll stop and I'll keep watching. But if I don't, I, I'll walk away. But this particular episode of this show riveted me, and I had to sit down, and I watched it through. And it was uh, uh, a show called Dude, You're Screwed. And it's basically these guys, these like uh, survivalist special forces, ex-special forces guys, they, they're all friends and they all made the show together and every once in a while will randomly kidnap the, one of them and drop them in a random place uh, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, well, she likes watching these shows because she thinks she can save me or save our family one day, but I don't think that's ever gonna really be required. Um, but anyway, this show, he, uh, uh, John Hudson, 
British SAS survival list. The guys take him and they, they just toss him into um, this place in Mexico, the cenotes, which are the, the underground um, maze of waterways. I don't know if you've ever seen this deep like caverns and then you go down into this pool and then you have to like find your way through this maze. And this particular structure had 230 tunnels, all dead ends, only one way out. And I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it took this guy 24 hours. He was swimming in dark water with just a headlamp for 24 hours, trying to find his way out, using all the tricks in his, in his, in his uh, tool bag. And he was borderline hypothermic, um, and he was basically swimming in, in a, a bat toilet, right? When I think about the wall, when I think about the dark night of the soul, I think about that. I think about this journey that feels like it's impossible to overcome, that it's impossible to get out of, and you, you, you start to panic because everything you were taught, everything you believed, everything you knew about reality and about safety is just, get, just gets thrown out the window. I think the dark night is like that, except these guys are doing it for kudos and to make a TV show. When we're put in it uh, through a spiritual lens, it's because God has a divine purpose, right? He has something at the end of this maze that he wants to give to us and present us with. And that's, that's the purpose. Right? We're, these things happen to us. And so what I want to talk about today is that in the dark night of the soul, according to the book of Job, God does primarily two things. The first is he makes us who we need to be. And the second is um, he gives us himself. The first is God makes us who we need, who we need to be. And, I, and that's purpose, purposely vague um, because I think it's different for everybody. For you or I, it might be that we need to get over our like obsession with image or uh, our obsession with money or success or achievement or, or trying to correct something in our childhood and our past that we felt was like holding us back. Um, for example, in, in the Old Testament, uh, Moses, uh, he, he was somebody who tried to overthrow, you know, overthrow the Egyptian government and, and try to s save his people, but he did it in, in, this, in this way and it was a botched plan and he ended up murdering somebody, became a fugitive, lived out 40 years in the middle of nowhere um, in the wilderness as a shepherd. No name, no plan, and a complete failure. And if anything, those 40 years, that was his wall. And what did God make Moses in those times? Like, in retrospect, you look back and you're like, God was preparing him to, to survive the wilderness to help people survive the wilderness. God was preparing him by making him a shepherd, right, who had to care for kind of creatures that didn't know left to right. And so God made him who he needed to be. What about Job? I, I, I find this, this one point interesting because I, when I was in seminary, um, uh, Dr. Siao, he's a, 
he's a pretty well-known uh, Job scholar. And I, I was in his class, and in one of his lectures, he was talking about uh, Job and wisdom literature in general. I thought it was fascinating because I'd never heard it like this before. And he was talking about how Proverbs is, is like wisdom from above, you know, wisdom literature from above, right? The heavenly ideal. Uh, and that heavenly ideal works when everything else is working. But when you read Job, you find this wisdom from below, right? Um, the earthly wisdom, uh, wisdom that comes from the street, right? And this wisdom is useful for when things aren't right, when the rules don't work. And the way that I want to take this and, and, and explain to you what God did for Job is that I think when I, when I hear this, God turned Job's life into a second type of wisdom literature, into a teaching, into something that you and I can look into as a, in a book and, and say, wow, like he went through all that. So Job, what he suffered was for us. Job became suffering so that it can be written so that we can see that God is just and that sometimes bad things happen to good people. Actually, many times that happens. And so when you look at Job's friends, you know, they, they typify the Proverbs way of thinking. They're like, you know, you must have done something wrong. And Job's like, I, I've literally combed through my life and I don't know what I did to deserve all this. And they're like, no, nah, you did something wrong, right? Because according to the Proverbs, uh, the righteous don't suffer. But Job's, Job, he, 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 he pushes back on that. But there's this other thing about Job, right? Like, he becomes the second type of wisdom literature. But he also pointed to a third thing in the book of Job. And that brings me to the, the second point, which is that in the journey, God gives himself. And what do I mean here? I think what Job is saying is, at the end of the day, um, sometimes you need more than a book. Right? And I want to bring this up through, through a couple of passages. I, I want to read for us uh, Job 9, 9.32, for example, uh, if I could just find it. He says, Job, Job is saying this about God. He says, He is not a mere mortal like me that I, should, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me, so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it stands with me, I cannot. Right? So he's, he's longing for a mediator. He's longing for somebody to, to advocate for him. And check out Job 19. Interesting stuff. Famous passage, Job 19, uh, 25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And then there's this yearning again for somebody to purchase him out of this, this feeling of, of death and suffering and misery. And so Job is, I, th I think he's crying out and he's saying, it's not enough that my life just becomes a book. 
And it's not enough for anybody just reading this book just to read a book. We need more than a book. We need a person. We need, we need an advocate, a defender, a savior. And so if wisdom literature is really about, as Professor Siao would say, survival, right? It's all about survival. Uh, surviving in life and in the laws of, of God, whether things are going right or whether things are going wrong, it's about survival. And if that's true, then in Christ we have the wisdom of God. In Jesus Christ we have the wisdom of God. And there's no one better than him. He's better than John Hudson. Like, if you were in those cenotes swimming around, you would want John Hudson with you. But who we have is even better because he wasn't just dropped in there with us. He's been through those caverns. He's been through those tunnels. Have, have we felt abandonment? Yes, he's felt abandonment. Have we felt poverty or humiliated? Have we felt, have we felt like we've had people say false things against us? He's felt the same. If Jesus Christ is the word of God, he is the word who's become flesh, John 1:14. And this means that when he's with us, he helps us to survive. It's not just a book anymore, right? It's not just a teaching. It's not just a, a religious uh, ceremony or, or rites or customs or traditions. It's a relationship with one who promises to walk beside us by his Holy Spirit. In Matthew 4, um, Jesus was being tempted. He was fasting 40 days, and he was being tempted by the devil. And Satan tells him, right, uh, if, you, if you're the son of God, then you can turn this stone into uh, a loaf of bread. And Jesus is so strong, right? He's so strong. He just answers back. He says, what does he say? You guys know, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And what does that mean? He's, he's talking about God's word, yes. He's also talking about himself. Right? Like, we don't just survive on the stuff that we're used to, our, our bank accounts, uh, the bread we eat, the rice we cook, right? The, you know, the, the things that we have. And a lot of times we get distracted because we sometimes rely on these things, having a car, having insurance, having all these, these great, you know, 401K, the dark night of the soul, what I'm trying to get at is the dark night of the soul, it's training for us to strip away all the stuff that doesn't matter, all the stuff that we think we need to rely on when there's only really one, and it's him. It's a relationship with him, the wisdom that he gives, the, the protection that he gives, the fullness that he gives to our hearts when our, our spouses aren't good to us, or when our children are, are, are not listening, when the stuff at work isn't working out, when all the things that we, we thought mattered don't work, when life doesn't work, he's there. And what Jesus is saying is, this will make you strong. And the dark night, when you hit that wall and you're in those caverns and you have nothing, you have me. And, and I just wanted to say that 
I think that a lot of, we're, we're, many of us are right now in a dark night of the soul um, in one way or another. And I know that it can be cold comfort to just say, hey, just rely on Jesus. Uh, rely on God. You're going to be all right. He's with you. Um, but this has been true for me, right? I think that, yes, it's cold comfort until you're really rock bottom and you realize you really can't rely on anybody. But the Spirit can speak to you and He can give you wisdom and He can help you to rely on Him. And I know no person stronger than that who literally you can put bread in their face when they're starving and be like, I don't need that. You can, you can throw the glamour of life in their face when they're, when they're starving for attention and they can turn around and say, I, don't, I actually don't need that either. I'm actually full and I, I'm happy with what I have in Christ. So, so what do we do? I don't, have a, I don't have a lot of fancy things. Job doesn't have a lot of fancy things to tell us about what we should do. All I can say is, do everything, but turn away from the wall. Do everything, but stop swimming, right? Do everything, except, right? Do everything, but please don't turn away from your trusting in him. Because when you, when you go through that, that cave, when you go through that wall, and I can attest to this, I've been through probably several, <laughs> several uh, walls. Um, when he brings you through to the other side, you become a different person, the person that he wants you to be. And you know that you don't really need anything else but him. Um, I'd like to invite us now to um, respond with a time of worship.